on the whole, there has been a drastic increase in their number of attacks, at least the ones they've claimed. Hi, I'm Anna Krana. I'm the research manager at Tech Against Terrorism, an organization that supports the global tech sector tackle terrorist and violent extremist use of the internet whilst respecting human rights. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. This week, we're discussing Tehrik i Taliban Pakistan, also known as TTP or the Pakistani Taliban, an Islamist terrorist organization known for its violent activities in the Afghanistan-Pakistan border region and its ideological alignment with the Afghan Taliban. In the episode, we're going to discuss TTP's evolution, its recent resurgence, and how it's using propaganda to further its strategic goals. We'll also explore TTP's online activities and how its official media arm has significantly enhanced its operations since the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan in 2021, playing an important role in the group's resurgence. TTP was formally established in December 2007, following the merger of several pro-Taliban militant factions operating in the tribal areas of Pakistan. Its primary objective is to establish an Islamic emirate in Pakistan, overthrowing the government and implementing Sharia law. TTP has been responsible for numerous terrorist attacks, targeting both civilians and Pakistani security forces, resulting in a significant loss of lives. The group supported the Afghan Taliban in their campaign against NATO forces and the Western-backed government of Afghanistan and maintains links with other terrorist groups such as Al-Qaeda. Over the years, the Pakistani government has been engaged in military operations against TTP, weakening its leadership and disrupting its infrastructure. However, TTP has seen a resurgence in the last few years, and today the group poses a significant security challenge in the region. Joining me today are Dr. Amira Jadun, Assistant Professor in the Department of Political Science at Clemson University, and Dr. Antonio Diostozzi, a Senior Research Fellow at the Royal United Services Institute. To begin, I asked Amira to explain how TTP came into existence and how it has evolved into its current form. The TTP emerged well over a decade ago in 2007, and it was sort of an outcome of the war on terror, but also Pakistan's role within this war. And it was really military operations in North and South Waziristan after 2002, which triggered widespread militancy in the tribal regions of Pakistan, which are obviously now a part of its KPK, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province. So it was really in these years after 9-11 that we saw the Pakistani Taliban emerge but mostly as a decentralized network of militant chapters in Fatah. So overall, I think it's useful to think of three, roughly three key phases in terms of the TTP's um, trajectory. So its initial period of emergence around 2007 and all the way until 2014, when it was really on a strong upward trajectory. And then subsequent to that, between 2015 and 2017, 18, we really saw TTP being degraded operationally to the point that it was considered largely defunct. And around 2018, we began to see a revival and we saw more uh, media output, a slight change in some of its messaging. It also had a new leader, again, from the Mesu tribe. And After the Taliban's victory, we have seen a clear resurgence in the Taliban and in the Pakistani Taliban's trajectory, which includes both its uh, operational activities, but also its online propaganda. But on the whole, there has been a drastic increase in their number of attacks, at least the ones they've claimed. So just to put this into perspective for our listeners, in 2018, TTP claimed about 28 attacks. 
In 2020, they claimed 149 attacks, which was three times greater than the previous year. And this trend seems to have continued in 2021 and 2022. The monthly attack was uh, rate was around 14.5 in 2020, and this has increased to about 45 in 2022. I was curious to know Antonio's thoughts on the reasons for the group's resurgence from around 2018. I think certainly an important factor here is the current leader of the TTP, Nawali Masood, who is actually much better educated than his predecessors, is more of a, if you like, intellectual, more of a thinker, a better planner, a, a more of a strategist, so somebody who can think more long-term, and a good organizer, because the previous leaders were not very good at organizing TTP. The TTP was always internally very fragmented. So Nuwali invested a lot of energy and made his priority to reunify the TTP, which by 2014-15 was essentially disintegrated into multiple rival factions that lost any effectiveness against the Pakistani armed forces and essentially was almost defeated. So Nuwali gradually, of course it took some time, but was able to bring back together most of the faction, not all of them, but the large majority of the different splinter groups, rival factions, came together again. He adopted more realistic organizational model, if you like, something more federative, so less centralized, which was more acceptable to the various different competing groups. He's still struggling, there are still issues, but certainly what he did was a major improvement to the TTP as it was before it took it took over. And that is a major factor. So, no, the TP had still taken as a whole considerable strength before, but it was very fragmented, you know, different groups, each counting a few hundred or a few thousand people, not being able to coordinate, actually sometimes even fighting each other. And now they, they mostly came together. They are more attractive as an option for prospective recruits. So I think they started recruiting again, but mostly more than recruitment, simply that they are back together. And together, they've been able to reestablish a significant presence inside Pakistan. They don't really control almost any part of Pakistan, but they have a presence in, in large areas. They became, if you like, more professional guerrilla fighters. They were not really guerrilla fighters before. They were bunches of armed people roaming around. You know, they were not trained. They were not very skilled. But under New Orleans, they adopted a more sophisticated, more sophisticated tactics, a more sophisticated strategy. So they essentially they have established widespread underground networks. They operate in small groups. They carry out ambushes. You know, they're more effective uh, in fighting the Pakistani armed forces, and also they are much better denying a target to them. So I think there's another factor. It's not clear about funding. What's going on? I think for sure there was support coming from the previous Afghan government in terms of money and other supplies. That, of course, you could say, was it really originating from Kabul or from somewhere else? That, of course, would have stopped. We know that there are some now some Taliban commanders who have close links to DDP and they send weapons. You know, the, the Taliban in Afghanistan now have plenty of surplus weapons, they don't know what to do. You know, after the collapse of the previous regime, they inherited massive amounts of light, light weapons. So some of these weapons are, are being handed over to TTP. 
others are easily available, cheaply available on the, in the black market for TTP to buy. It's clear that TTP is gaining strength, with efforts being made to obtain weapons and to recruit more members. But to what end? And how is this reflected in TTP propaganda? I asked Amira. In general, TTP has maintained three goals, but these have shifted slightly, right? So the first one is the implementation of Sharia law within Pakistan. Again, this goal has been revised subsequently. Fighting US and NATO troops in uh, Afghanistan, again, this no longer is an imperative for them. And finally, engaging in jihad against the Pakistani army. So against this background, we can look at what has TTP's propaganda looked like. Right. So the TTP, like many other groups which we have seen, it has historically used online platforms to spread its messages, but also to use these channels to recruit. And its main goals are to justify the group's aims in the context of religious jihad and holy war. The second has been to build internal cohesion because we know TTP has suffered immensely from internal fragmentation, internal conflict. And finally, the third is to mobilize support and to change public perceptions. When the attack on the school happened, it really turned the whole nation sort of against the TTP's goals and its ways of achieving those goals. And so the TTP in its most recent propaganda over the past several years, since at least 2018, has really attempted to change this perception. And they have emphasized that they will not be targeting civilians and their fight really is against the Pakistani army or its security apparatus, right? So some of the themes that we see repeatedly over the years is religious justification for its actions, right? So it uses narratives, it refers to Quranic verses um, to really legitimize its violent actions. There's a lot of anti-Western sentiment, and this closely ties into its position against the Pakistani state and in its narrative, which really vilifies uh, the Pakistani army and its intelligence arm. And increasingly, the Pakistani state as uh, is, is framed more or less as a pawn or a mercenary, which is affiliated with the U.S., right? So the Pakistani army is the traitor, it's un-Islamic, and therefore this makes the TTP's jihad against the Pakistani army legitimate. Right. And then closely tied to this, the TTP and, you know, we all are generally aware that there are real grievances among certain populations of the Pakistani nation. And what the TTP has done sort of tied in with its goal to change civilian perceptions, societal perceptions, is really to tap into some of these grievances, right, which are associated with civilian casualties, extrajudicial disappearances and linking them to the army to mobilize general support for the TTP and against the Pakistani state. Other themes are similar to what we see in other jihadist groups. So there's, you know, the celebration of martyrdom and sacrifice. So those are some of the overall central themes that we have consistently seen in the TTP's propaganda. I wanted to know more from Amira about the evolution of TTP's propaganda strategy and its exploitation of online platforms. They are using a mix of text, images, audio, videos, right? Similar to what we see groups, extremist groups use around the world. But this is a change for TTP because there's a lot more magazines in different languages. They have a radio show. They even have a podcast. So they're using all these tools to also now 
engage in commentary on social, economic, and political developments in the country. They have done so in the past, but not in the way that we are seeing now. And all of these different mediums are helping the TTP relay and its message to different segments of the audience. So we see within their overall propaganda, there's two types of audiences that they're trying to reach in terms of their supporters, right? So they have very religious languages, symbolism, which is intended to appeal to individuals who have religious motivations. But on the other side, they're also using narratives which are centered around grievances and the army, the Pakistani army's sort of exploitation of these local communities for its own purposes. So it's not just religious motivations, but also sort of practical imperatives uh, that people may experience. And then in terms of its digital expansion, it's gone beyond simply using a website and open forums, and it's increasingly using encrypted messaging apps such as Telegram and WhatsApp, right? So these are generally the shifts that we have seen. But if we look at TTP's media structure, so Omar Media is uh, TTP's main media arm, and it kind of falls under the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting. Uh, that's what TTP calls that operational unit. And they launched a new website in 2020. But this media, Omar, has existed in one form or another since at least 2010 and even before that. So what has really strengthened TTP's media structure? So one is it has been engaged in a series of mergers since mid-2020. And according to scholars who've been looking at this, it's estimated that about 20 groups have been brought back into the TTP's fold. And these include factions which had splintered, but it also includes Al-Qaeda factions or lashkar Jangvi factions. So this has really allowed the TTP to pool or bring in new media expertise, add more talent, and really centralize all of its different media outlets into one main structure, right? So what this does, it allows TTP to deliver a more coherent uh, message to its audiences. And again, like I mentioned, there's video series, there's daily radio broadcast, there's a current affairs podcast. And this is all in addition to what it disseminates through its WhatsApp and Telegram channels. But just to sort of add to that, the most regular and extensive Omar Media releases are its daily statements on attacks that it claims or other strategic developments in the country. Antonio adds that another purpose of TTP propaganda is to generate funding for the group's activities. I would imagine that TTP would need to do more fundraising, for example, grassroots fundraising, you know, trying to convince the, if you like, you know, the potential sympathizer in the street, you know, small guys who don't have a lot of money, and but there are a lot of them, of course, potentially. So these guys could be willing to give a little bit of money each, but you need to convince them that, you know, having an effective propaganda operation could be effective. And of course, even the tone of the propaganda is, is different now. It's more, uh, there are elements of almost, I would say, Pashtun nationalists or trying to exploit, you know, Pashtun resentment against the central government in Pakistan, national jihad, you know, so the, the tone has changed and I think it's, I think it designed to be more appealing to for example, Pakistani Pashtuns living abroad or even in, in Pakistan, you know, uh, Pashtun businessmen, you know, this kind of people 
people have some money, you know, and could, might be willing to, to contribute some of it. TTP's sophisticated propaganda and media outrage campaign has been used to try and improve their image and change the perception of them among the Pakistani public. Amira believes they've partly done this by capitalizing on existing turmoil in the country to gain support. This is pretty much prime time for TTP, right? Given the political, social and economic chaos in Pakistan right now, unfortunately. So it has created more room for their extremist narratives, right? Especially if you think about it at a time when people are vulnerable to skewed narratives because there's a really um, you know, pervasive sense of insecurity and people look for certain explanations in these volatile moments, right? So this has created space for TTP's extremist views to potentially sway more people and also see some logic in the conspiracy theories that they put out there. Now, this instability has also created room for uh, the TTP to strike and further undermine a weak and divided nation, right? So the more violence that they can inflict directly on the state, specifically the army, the more they're undermining the legitimacy of the of the current political system, not just the government, right? So this political instability and also the various other socioeconomic issues has provided them essentially with more material for their propaganda, where they can sort of weave in half-truths with their extreme narratives and further heighten polarization and that sense of insecurity in the country. So I believe the, you know, the floods which caused a lot of damage in Pakistan recently, again, TTP sees that opportunity to comment on uh, the failures of the current government to provide for the people and to ensure human security. And I think Prior to that, they also had some commentary on the Women's March, uh, which takes place every year in Pakistan. So I think TTP is very squarely focused on uh, tracking changes in the country right now. And this is this is the greatest opportunities that they have had recently after the Taliban's victory to really diffuse their narrative on various social, economic and political issues throughout the country. Under its new leadership, TTP has undergone considerable improvements in organization and strength and shows a greater understanding of the media and how to use it than ever before. As Antonio explains, dismantling the group poses substantial hurdles. One key challenge, and and that's why the Pakistani authorities are so pissed off with the Akhan Taliban, is that they have a safe haven in Afghanistan. Now, they had it even before, but the Pakistan authorities hope that the Afghan Taliban would do away with it. And that means that their leaders and their leadership structure is safe or more or less safe in Afghanistan. Of course, there are occasional drone strikes and assassinations, but they, they wouldn't be able to maintain it if it was in Pakistan, you know, because they don't have any territorial control inside of Pakistan. There is no area which we could describe, no go area for the Pakistani army inside Pakistan. So so that's a major challenge and really irritates very deeply the Pakistani armed forces in particular. Other challenges are the adaptation through which TTP went. They are much more sophisticated. They are more, if you like, professional guerrillas now, professional guerrilla fighters, which they were not before. Therefore, harder to catch, especially for a 
conventional army that, like the Pakistani one, they don't offer an obvious target. They're more effective in tactics like ambushes, etc. You know, small-scale attack, hit-and-run attacks. And they have been able to establish networks also in the in majority of Pakistani cities where there are Pashtun communities. So you had attacks also in the cities, even in Islamabad, of course, small scale, but still quite annoying, I think, for the Pakistani authorities. And then the final challenge, I think, is that there is a reservoir of deep-seated hostility towards the central government, in, especially in the tribal areas, more in general in Kabul, Pakhtunkhwa, which makes it difficult for the authorities to, for example, enlist widespread support against the TP, even if many Pashtuns don't like the TP ideologically, you know, but uh, at the same time, they're not very keen to cooperate with the Pakistani authorities. That makes it difficult to, you know, corner them and, and defeat them because they also keep a low profile. To conclude, I asked Amira for her thoughts on the most effective ways to address and mitigate the group's activities and messaging. So I think in countries like Pakistan, there's also a need for the state not just to work with companies which are in the online realm, uh, tech companies, but also with non-government organizations which are actually embedded within local societies. And these organizations can then help with digital literacy where that's relevant, counter disinformation and conspiracy theory campaigns and engage in counter messaging, right? Because the effects of extremist narrative don't just sort of they don't just stop at politics, they go beyond. So for example, the targeting of health workers by extremists have undermined health security in the country. So I I think there's a need to sort of combine online approaches with on the ground approaches, using organizations which can actually dispel some of these narratives and incorrect uh, messaging. The problem in Pakistan, though, is that this is not just about online dissemination of propaganda. The problem is also linked to extremism and rising levels of intolerance in the country, which is deeply embedded within the society. And this is not just a result of militant organizations' propaganda. It links to many other state governance and educational policies, right? So deficiencies in rule of law, justice, governance, engaging in repression, targeting of civilians, this really undermines communities' resilience to extremist narratives. So we can't just focus on the digital um, ecosystem in countries like Pakistan. We really need to pair them with on-the-ground approaches where actors can actually reach the most vulnerable societies, right? So that kind of ties into building community resilience to extremist narratives, which I think the first step there is for the state to be able to demonstrate that it can provide and ensure human security. And finally, I think I would say this one point, which is relevant in the context of Pakistan, is whenever there are negotiations or efforts to appease militants, the unintended effect of this is that it can legitimize the messages of these groups, right? So I think the Pakistani government really needs to maintain a consistent counterterrorism policy and continue to complement it with uh, preventative approaches and outreach efforts, which can really reach the populations which are the most vulnerable to coercion and also to the propaganda narratives of TTP. Thank you to our guests, Amira and Antonio, for their input in today's episode. 
If you want to learn more about Tech Against Terrorism and our work, visit techagainstterrorism.org or follow us on Twitter at techversusterrorism. I'm Anna Krane. This is the Tech Against Terrorism podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And if you enjoy listening, please rate, leave a review and share the episode as that really helps new people find us. This is an OG podcast production. Executive producer is Archie McFarlane. Produced by Adrian Dangor. Edit and sound design by Oli Giyu. Music by Rowan Bishop.